Welcome to Made in China, ish, a podcast by Chinese adopted Asian American that discusses racial identity, experiences, insights, and advice. But don't worry if you're not an Asian American adoptee. I think you'll still find something to relate to here. There are a lot of things I wish I was told before I left my hometown and experienced the real world. Well, as real as your freshman year of college can get. All I wanted was to be understood and heard, and that's my goal here—to amplify adopted voices and let people like freshman year me know that you're not alone. So, what's up? My name's Grace Tomlinson, and I'm made in China-ish. Hello, hello, and welcome back to Made in China-ish, the podcast. My name is Grace. I'm your host. A little background about myself is that I was adopted from China at a little over a year old and grew up in the greater Philadelphia area, right outside of West Philly. And I'm currently at Penn State University, which is smack dab in the middle of Pennsylvania. So it's been a little over a year actually since I posted my first podcast, and it's kind of crazy to think about because that was in the midst of quarantine when everyone was watching The Outer Banks, which the second season just came out, and making bread and just trying to figure out. What exactly was happening from the comfort of our own home? I started this podcast to try to connect with people in the Asian American community, specifically people who are transracial adoptees. And so, when I first put out that call for anyone who's interested in speaking with me or coming on the podcast, Annika was the first person who ever reached out to me and the first person that I ever interviewed on this podcast. Within that year, we've both grown a tremendous amount in different ways. We've had different life experiences that have led us to different. Paths that we might not have assumed that we would take a year ago. So for the one-year anniversary of this podcast, I really just wanted to sit down and catch up and see where she's grown in life, where I've grown in life, and just now one of the things that we'll touch on in the podcast is that Annika is about three hours behind from where I am right now, so I'm three hours ahead of where she is, which is in the California area, so from coast to coast, which is pretty cool. But that also means that we ran into some audio issues and connectivity issues. So if you ever hear maybe pauses in the audio from either me or her、um, or portions like that, that's just connection, Zoom, you know how it is. <laughs> But without further ado, this is Annika. Hello, we're back.、Um, if you don't know, which you probably won't, because I'll edit it out. We had audio issues, so this is take two. I really appreciate Annika hanging in there with me.、Um, so, welcome back, Annika. We had a chat almost this time last year, actually on the seventh of August. Was my first podcast with my first host, and I really appreciate where we've come in a year so far. It's been kind of a hectic year, to say the least. And Annika, last time we talked, you were a junior at Whittier College. You're still a junior at Whittier College. What's up? How's this unconventional year been for you? It's been rough. Okay,、um, so I did the first seven weeks of school, and then I realized that I'm not the learn online,、um, and I was able to figure out how to leave.、Um, so then I've been taking up jobs. And I said before, I'll say again. I took a job working at a a dog hotel place, and I was running around like eight hours a day with dogs. I love dogs. I don't like groups of dogs, and I know I'm never going to do that again.、Um, and then I actually I took seasonal work at Seas Candies as well, but it was like a full time eight hour five day like nonstop. Very interesting. People are very particular about their candy, especially around. Around Valentine's Day, I can imagine. Oh my gosh, you've definitely been all over the place. 
but now you're so you're going back into Whittier this year is that your game plan at least so actually no um and I just made that decision kind of like a day or two ago and I've been thinking about it for about two weeks because this past year I've actually hmm, I moved out of my my mom's house and so I'm now living like financially almost fully independent from her and around this time last year like I was very much a dependent very much a student living at home um but the way that I left my mom's house was like a textbook example of leaving I think an emotionally manipulative and abusive situation so now I'm living in LA by my school um by my well not by my rates but by myself you know That's really exciting. I'm happy to hear that you're in a better place than you were a year ago when it comes to your living situation and possibly just your mental health as well. So mm -hmm. what's LA been like? How are you liking living on the West Coast? So it's going, going from North Cal to SoCal, like I know I've been always making that trip, well, for like the past two years. What it's like actually living down here, it's, it's different because um, well, it's different, I think, finally supporting myself. Um, that's something I didn't think I was going to do anytime really soon. I've been talking to friends about it. Um, I needed to and wanted to leave my home situation. Um, but coming here has been one of the hardest things that I've ever done. Um, and like right now, I'm not in contact with my mom whatsoever. I think because this past year with COVID, like we couldn't not be with each other. And then, of course, with the rise of Asian American hate, right? Um, I'll restart again. But so we left off um, with the rise of Asian American hate and um, leaving your house. So what's that experience been like living independently and on your own? It's been hard and it's been really interesting because I joined a lot of adoptee spaces online. So I'm in, I think, a lot of like... A, adoptees of China stuff and then also I think more like adult adoptees who happen to mostly lean Korean adoptees and it's really interesting to see how people talk about their specifically their white adoptive parents because my mom like is that but she's also a single mother and then she's also very proudly like a Jewish feminist lesbian like those identities have really made me who I am today but it's also I think a little bit different in the way that she's parented me. So when it comes to her ignorance, and I think her, I'll say white, white fragility or insecurity, um, it's not coming from the same narratives that I see online where their parents may be like, oh, like they don't see color or they think that I should be grateful. Like my mom has been grateful for me, I think as a same sex parent, actually getting a child. And then she's a very big advocate for anti-racism. But then when it comes to our relationship, she wasn't able to see a lot of, she can't relate to me as a person of color, right? Um, so that put a very big strain on our relationship. And that's something that I never really saw until this past year. Um, and then I started realizing that I couldn't talk to her about things. I asked people a lot of questions. And you'll probably see it over time on my social media. I'm going to have a series of questions of the day. And one of my favorite questions to ask is, um, when did you realize you couldn't share everything with your parents? 
Yeah, I'm excited to see where you go with your question of the day because I've been following you on Instagram, obviously, and you've come a long way, speaking of your question of the day uh, series, from just doing like graphics that you made to actually starting to vlog your life and talking to people directly. And you're also using your Instagram stories to connect with people. So how has that series been going for you? Because I know you started it just with friends and just a few people on your social media, but now that you've actually taken root with that, what have you seen? A lot. It's actually really interesting. I started saying it in our first recording when you were talking to me last year, you kept directing the conversation back to my social media. And at that time, I was like, I'm just posting things that I care about, right? But then I think the way that you talked about how I was posting is kind of what it became in this past year. Um, I followed like adoptee educators around this time last year. And I think I've been kind of trying to replicate what they're doing. There are a lot of adult adoptees that I follow or have seen that use their personal lens um, to approach education or to approach anti-racism or literally any type of topic. And it's interesting to see adult adoptees like use their personal story and then also look at younger adoptees, maybe like 17 and younger, because those are more aesthetic and they're very informational. Um, but and they tell a lot of stories. So I think something that you do that I find um, nicer in the sense, I think it's more inclusive, um, where younger adoptees, when they're posting stuff, they share multiple people's stories and they don't necessarily have to be like a certain age. When I'm in something I'm trying to figure out right now is adult adoptee spaces, because whenever I enter them, I'm usually the youngest, I'm 21. Um, and I don't think it's conscious. I would like to think it's an unconscious bias of just my age and how I appear. And I kind of own the fact that I'm born in 99 and some people are like, that's when I graduated or like, it's kind of, I kind of went on a tangent. Um, but when it comes to my social media, I'm trying to replicate what I see with the adult adoptees, but to have it resonate also, I think it just resonates in general because it's a personal story, but see how that can maybe translate or be an example for my younger self, that's what I do everything for. And then also, hopefully, it might impact another younger Chinese adoptee or any any race adoptee for that matter. That's awesome, because I know I also connected with a lot of different Facebook groups and online organizations, especially similar to the time that we first spoke. And I know that you are starting to find them now. We have a lot of mutuals on Instagram when it comes to our adoptee friends and yeah. things like that. So how has that influenced your identity and how you play a role in social justice? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, it's been a year. I'm trying to up the questions. <laughs> when it comes to my identity. So I've actually talked about this with a few people and saying that I don't feel like there's ever been a space where I belong because interestingly enough, this time last year, there was a question you asked me and I redirected it to having same-sex parents, but I didn't openly identify as queer at this time last year. Even though I knew I had liked girls ever since I was whew, a child. Um, so being in spaces, I think also adoptee spaces that have been inclusive and also just queer spaces that are very intentional, just being online there, that has helped me like if you look at my Instagram bio, it's literally like a queer transracial adoptee, something and other stuff. And I've learned how to say that out loud in spaces I feel comfortable in because 
those are the identities that you don't see. And those are the two identities that have impacted how I show up in so many spaces because so many people make assumptions on your family. And then so many people will assume that you are heterosexual. Um, and then when, you know, I think that automatically is linked to what I'm involved in social justice wise because they're just identities that are historically marginalized or in the margins, I guess is a good way to say. Yeah, I'm really glad that you were able to find those spaces as an adoptee, but also a member of the queer community. And so I guess transitioning more towards like today and what we're seeing now. So it, a lot has happened in a year. And I know I keep saying that, but that's because it's been a really chaotic year. Mm -hmm. um, I know. But what I've seen, um, especially in the wake of all the AAPI hate, is how the people around me have been treating the situation, whether that's my school or my hometown or my friends. So for your experience, especially with what you do um, online and just in general, when you're advocating for transracial adoptees, when that wave of AAPI hate struck, like in the wintertime, February, um, or even during the shootings in March, what was your perspective on how the people that you surrounded with you acted? Mm. It was really interesting, actually, because at first I wanted to isolate because I saw the news. I was in a group chat for Asian Student Association, and one of the club members was like, did you guys hear about like the shooting? And I was like, fuck. No, I was like, excuse my language. I was like, no, you're, you're kidding. You're like, no, this isn't real. And that, that kind of happened to me. I think the day of George Floyd's murder as well. Like I saw it somewhere on social media or someone said it to me. And then that night or day I just slept. And then the next day was like, what the heck is going on? So in March for the rise of Asian hate um, and that particular shooting, I wanted to isolate. I didn't want to talk to anyone. I was angry. I was so angry and uh, all the frustrated. Um, but then I realized like, there must be other people who feel this way too. So even though I was exhausted and I didn't want to touch base with anyone, I started reaching out to my Asian friends, which I do, I have more than I think, or more than I thought. And every one of them expressed like some sort of like pain and fear when I came to their families. And it was really interesting for me as an Asian American adoptee to hold space for them because they were my friends and they're worried for their families. But at the same time, as they're talking about, you know, their parents, I'm thinking about my own parent. And I, there were some posts going around for adoptees that talked about how our white parents were like, like the perpetrators, right? They're the white, like the white shooter type of comparison there's a kind of lack of nuance in that sentence I just said, but just the fact that us as particularly Asian American adoptees looking at our parents and feeling this connection to the discrimination and the xenophobia, but this disconnect from our parents and the culture, how we were raised was so complex to hold for me. And I think because then my mom, just me and my mom were having trouble at the time in general. Um, I didn't fully process that. And I haven't really thought about that in a while. So now I'm thinking about that right now. Yeah, I think that's crazy how each, not only the Asian American community, because it affects everyone. Um, but I just remember looking at all of the various adoptee groups that you're probably also part of, just everyone trying to comprehend what's happening. Um, mm -hmm. It was a you, lot. 
Were you able to find support in any of the other Asian Americans or did you find that mostly in like the adoptee groups or what was that experience for you when you when it came to trying to find support and understanding of what happened? I don't feel like I have a lot of support in the adoptee community in general, whether they be Asian or not. Um, I don't know why that is. I have a list of five adult adoptees who I've met three of them, no, three, yes. I've met three of them through student affairs because um, I've been networking in that field. And I've met two of them, I think on adoptee clubhouse, um, which is, I don't know if you're aware of it, but I think it was started by two Korean adoptees. Mm-hmm. And it's where, um, you know, adoptees get to meet up and have their own space. Um, and they're all like either, they range, I think from like 26 to maybe their thirties or forties. Um, because I don't know how to ask for, actually, no, I've been learning how to ask for advice, literally just from people about literally anything, especially in, in moving out. But when it comes to adoptee stuff, I think I gravitate towards having one-on-one conversations with female or female appearing older than me, people who know how to hold space for me in a way that lets me just run in so many directions and tangents um but I don't talk to them often and I don't actively seek I think adoptee support and I haven't done that recently not sure why yeah and I guess as a whole what is your perspective on how just the media and like, I guess our government handled the situation when it came to press coverage, when it came to blaming the the shooter on what happened. What was your overall perspective about that? I wasn't surprised. I didn't really seek out for that information. Some people posted it, but it wasn't as popular. Well, maybe, I don't know how I feel about that word, but it was, there was a lot of comparisons to the Black Lives Matter movement. And I thought, it was definitely divisive um I was mm, yeah I wasn't surprised and I'm I'm curious as to where that energy went after Black Lives Matter and then also after um Stop Asian Hate I feel like it's dulled for sure but then that's when the work actually starts Exactly. So I guess transitioning more towards today, what do you hope to see better out of the the people that you surround yourself with when it comes to their perspectives on it? And I guess social media and how they support stop API hate and things like that. So where do you see it now and where do you hope it goes in the future? Oh, gosh. Well, I don't really see it now. Yeah. Um, and I don't necessarily want to see it. Um I don't necessarily want to see it on social media because even with the way that I approach social media, there's a whole, I mean, there's also going to be an entire series of what I post and why I post it. I think I'm a very reflective person and I don't know how other people approach their social medias. The way I perceive them too is that to either boost something or I don't know, but I see those posts on social media that say the work is done offline. Like the work is not something you like boast about, which is something that kind of just automatically happens on social media. Like that's something you can't get rid of. 
Um, but if you're, I think, really doing the work, you don't need to talk about it or display it in that way. I think depending on your age and how you approach it, it's all different for everyone. But the way that I see posting on social media, I don't think you necessarily need to share it. But also at the same time, like personal stories and journeys are very important. And social media is a way of trying to track that and um, understand it. But the people that I've been seeing, I think what we all do is, I'm, I'm actually, no, literally do whatever you want. Like, I have no idea. Live your life. I love that. Amazing. <laughs> I just always like to get people's perspectives on um, their per- what they think about everything that's happening, especially as adoptees. Everyone has such different perspectives on what they personally want to see in their social media, what they personally want to see done. Um, so I like that. Just- well, I want, if, if I see someone post something and I know we can have a conversation about it, or I want to, I, I approach stuff with curiosity if it makes me feel a certain emotion. So if I really like it, I want to connect with that person. If I'm really confused about something or I don't like something they post, I would like to engage in a conversation. And I I actively go through my followers or like who I follow a lot um, and I mute people just because my brain is taking on so much information when I'm on social media. Um, but I like still wanna stay in contact, but at the moment I'm like, I don't wanna hear from you. Or yes, I want to engage in the way that you post with our relationship in mind. There's a lot, there's, because I follow like 400 people. I don't know all of them, but I know a lot of them. And it's really interesting to see sometimes the things that they post because they come from a different perspective that I know I want to engage with. That's awesome. So what are some of the kind of things that you like to engage with with your followers? I, I really like how you try to connect with the people that you are following on social media. One of the very best things that I think college taught me was that life was about the conversations that you have with other people. It's about the relationships you build. Um, It's like the late nights, in and out runs, whatever. Um, So when it comes to my social media, you know, you can do like a rating and ask a question. So usually I think people post those questions or those answers, but instead of doing that, um, I just DM who I have the capacity to and who I want to at the time. I would DM everyone and be like, okay, I'd ask the question, how was your day? Rate your week. And then I'd, they'd rate it. And then I'd say, okay, what happened for you this week? And I'd probably like copy and paste like something like that, literally to everyone who responded. And then we would have our own conversation. Um, and that's, I think, really extroverted of me. <laughs> but I've also learned that my self-care is community care or like it's my self-care is community. So Yes, I talk to a lot of people and sometimes it can be draining, but at the same time, the people that I have conversations with remind me of how far I've come, especially if I've been friends with them for however many years. Um, or if they've seen me grow over the past year, two years, that's also been a lot. Um, so using social media in that way to actually can like be social rather than to like display. Um, I use Instagram like LinkedIn, I guess. But it's different because the way people approach LinkedIn is way different than they approach Instagram. And so the conversations you have, I think, can be a little bit more casual and then more intimate. 
Yeah, I know that I we've talked a few times over just Instagram DMs and things like that, but I think it's great that you always try to make a personal connection because when you were talking to me, I just it was nice to just catch up, especially because it was after we recorded our podcast. It was probably like halfway through the year. I love hearing where people are. Like that's just really cool because even if we don't want it to, the world keeps moving. Exactly. The world keeps moving. And speaking of the world keeping moving, so where do you see yourself going in this upcoming year? If you were to try to have an idea, (laughs) it's a good question probably. Um, And if you don't know, that's fine. But do you have any plans for this upcoming year that you're excited for, that you're going to work towards? Um, I'm going to figure out my undergraduate about social media. You can see so many people's lives and how they handle it. The downside kind of is that I've seen so many people leave academia, but they've left, I think after they got their bachelor's or they left after they got their PhD. I don't hear many stories of, well, I hear the aftermath of someone having a really long or difficult journey to getting their undergraduate degree, um, or I just haven't found those stories. But I've literally like, I didn't expect to be my own support system and lose like the family to go home to during the holidays or if shit hit the fan. Um, I didn't expect to lose my my family like that. Um, so then that totally uprooted my undergrad, uh, whatever, four-year track, I guess. Um, so in the next year, I hope to figure out how exactly I'm going to go back to school. Um, in, the, in the meantime, I'll work. I work right now at a restaurant, which I actually kind of love. And I just recently got a job teaching martial arts, which is something that is going to be in my life for the rest of my life because I grew up with it. I love it. It's where I learned, I think, how to love and be loved by something, which was the martial art. And now I'm at a point where I want to give that to other people too. And I'm getting paid for it. So that's cool. That's awesome, because I know you post about that on social media as well. So has martial arts helped you sort of connect with your Asian American identity, do you feel like? No, I, it's funny because it's like a stereotypical associate, activity associated with, you know, being Asian. Yikes. But um, it hasn't really connected me to Asian culture. I think it just been there um because you don't have to be any type of way to be a martial arts student I think yeah I want to pull it up right now because it was the last podcast that I listened to and I posted about it and you you DM'd me about I forgot who it was um but for me martial arts like you don't have to look a certain way and they don't even care necessarily about the life experience that you had. They just want you to build your confidence, learn how to defend yourself. And then I guess with certain teachers be happy. Um, So I didn't really ever connect it to like Asian culture. Yes, we had like Chinese New Year celebrations. Yes, there there are roots connected back to Asia with our school. but it's not something that I actively thought about, nor do I think is necessary to think about in my my martial arts journey. Yeah, and because I know last time you were also interested in self-defense, so I think that's great that you were able to actually start working towards that passion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I've been doing martial arts since 2010. Um, 
and I got my my black belt in 2017. So it's been a few years. Um, and everything that I do, I have to give it to them. I have to give it back to my teachers for sure. Like that's kind of ingrained in our system, I guess. Um, and hopefully everything I do moving forward is going to give at least something like a smidget or whatever, anything that I can pull from them and give to others is going to be really important for me to do. Yeah. And I know we talked earlier and then also I've seen on your Instagram, but just in general, you're someone who likes to reflect a lot. So yeah, this is kind of a loaded question and I'm aware of that. But last time I asked for words of advice for your past self entering college, but do you have any words of advice or things that you wish you knew for your past self just this year since we last met and talked to each other? I think it's the same similar thing that I said before. I think I kind of read it because I was I reposted the thing uh, from last year. And I think I said like, find your people or something like that. Go out there and find your people. And if not, well, that's kind of what I'm going to say now. Find people that are going to give you their time, their ears and their questions. So curiosity, because there are so many places that I think are going to not give that to you whether it's just because you vibe with them or not or based on the social identities or life experiences that you have they're not always going to be life-giving spaces so find the life-giving people to create those spaces with you I think you're always going to be able to find someone or something um, that can help you become your best self Um, and then from there turn around and see if you can give that to other folks. And then you're going to probably get a lot more than you expected back. I think those are great words of advice. And I'm glad that you are starting to find that, whether that's moving away from home and sort of finding your own identity and a new city and things like that. And Mm -hmm. I, I guess my final or closing remarks is where do you hope that you can, I know we talked about like school and things like that, but just in general for your own social media or for what you're doing with martial arts, where do you hope you see yourself in a year? In a year? Low-key, I want to become one of the adoptee influencers, but I just don't know how to do that Um, because I don't, it's really hard for me to sell myself and I don't think it necessarily has to be me, but I think there has to be some, and it's, uh, I think it's happening, like queer transracial adoptees to me are very important because I think adoptees in general are important, like because of the way we look at the world, add the layer of being queer. We approach things with a lot of nuance and a lot of care that I don't see a lot of people do. It doesn't have to be a queer transracial adoptee. It can be a biracial, multiracial, just person, someone who doesn't see themselves fit in. Um, I want I think I'm a good example of someone who doesn't fit in and then has learned how to word it um, in a way uh, that might resonate with other people who happen to not speak their mind. I was very quiet for a really long time. And even if you listen to the podcast last year, I think I talked a lot differently. So I want to become a person, I want to become that quiet person who starts talking to get other people to start talking. Because I really like being in spaces where the quiet person speaks up because you know they're thinking and I want to hear what they have to say. So I want to, what do I want to do in a year? Become that person who uplifts other people like that. 
And I think you're on amazing track for that. Just seeing you grow in at least on social media. I know we're talking about social media a lot, but we I think mm-hmm. it helps you connect people. And oh, just yeah. seeing where you've come in a year, I think it, you're on the right track. So I'll tag your Instagram, obviously. But for those listening, her Instagram is Annika, that's the name, F underscore J. And you've also been utilizing TikTok. You've been really working mm-hmm. around just to make sure that you're able to reach different demographics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've thought about that a lot. Like whenever I post something, especially on my story, I try to only do one, like one little blip because I know I personally just start skipping all of them. <laughs> Yeah. And just making sure that it's accessible to people. Um, And I think, I don't know if you heard my podcast with Celeste Good. She is also a member of the LGBTQ community and an adoptee. And we were having very similar conversations just about identity. And um, Mm -hmm. she'd be a great person to reach out to and things like that. That's what I was referencing, who I was referencing before. Because I think she talked about rugby, right? Yes, she plays rugby. The way she talked about rugby, I was like, wow, that's what I have in martial arts. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, so I, I love guess, that episode. Yeah, she's super sweet. Um, and I guess if you have any other closing remarks before we go. Um, I just like saying thank you for listening to whoever does, because I mean, yes, I'm, I'm giving my time, but I, you're giving me anyone who's listening is giving me their time and ears. And that's really special. We definitely have something to say. And again, her Instagram is Annika F underscore J. That's A-N-I-C-A-F underscore J um, is where you can find her and the things that she does, whether that's just the, the things that she's writing, the videos that she's posting or the TikToks that she's also making. It has definitely been a packed and just very interesting year to say the least for both me and Annika and I'm so excited and really happy that we got to catch up and see where we are in each other's lives, see where Annika is in terms of the work that she's been doing and the things that she's passionate about and how she's working on those passions. So thank you again Annika for starting this journey with me and catching up again a year later. I used to say this a lot at my beginning podcast, um, but it still stands today. I just sometimes forget to plug it. If you're ever interested in coming on this podcast, just shoot me either a DM or an email. My email is in my bio, and I would love to talk to you. Again, I feel like we started as a podcast that just talks about college. Now we're sort of just talking about anything related to being a transracial adoptee in your experiences, so I would love to hear from you. So thank you again, Annika, for coming on. I have a few podcasts slated for the future, so I'm super excited for you to hear those. Um, I am starting my school year, so a little bit of a plea for you to stay patient if you're trying to keep up with these episodes. And if you are, I really do appreciate that. So until next time, this has been Made in China-ish, the podcast, and my name is Grace. See ya!